If you're seeing this, it's because I am now a dad of two, and that means that I am already sleep-deprived to the point that the state of North Carolina will not allow me behind a camera. So we're taking some old blogs from back at the very beginning of Checkpoint from before these nerdy sermons even existed. We're remastering them and making them for you to enjoy, probably for the first time since these blogs were originally read like seven times. All this is to say that if these feel different than normal, it's because they kind of are. But I'm excited to offer them to you anyway. Today's video is from Violet Evergarden, which is a show that you really need to watch if you're still somehow sleeping on it. Maybe wait until you're ready for like a really good cry, but then get ready for an excellent and emotional story. Violet Evergarden is a show that I've actually recommended to many of the pastors in my field because I think it's probably the best possible presentation of pastoral care that exists, which I'm sure we'll actually end up talking about in this video. But more than that, Violet Evergarden does an incredible job of exploring the action after the action. How do we cope with the things that happen after the action movie rolls credits? And what can we learn about that as people who live in the day-to-day -day life of humanity? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geeks, and gamers come together to talk about faith games. And can we just put metal arms in every anime? Because they're seriously always cool. I am your nerd pastor, Nate. If you like these weekly deep dives, be sure to sub and hit that bell and find out when our next one drops. Folks, as always, we're going to be starting with our scripture in this video. Our scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to be reading from the NRSV. That's my preferred translation. It's what's going to be on the screen. If you have a translation that you prefer, feel free to use that one as well. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. You know, I've tried for a good chunk of my life to avoid this whole pastoral thing. When I was born, it was right at the time where my dad experienced the call and made a vocational shift into pastoral ministry in the United Methodist Church. I grew up in a preacher's house, whereas my siblings, who are a good bit older than me, grew up in two very different houses. My uncle was called into the ministry as well, much earlier than my dad, and my grandmother served as a Christian educator and pastor as well. There is a whole lot of pastoral work in my blood. All this led to a real mixture of emotions for me when I first felt called into the ministry. It didn't help that I got the holy like tap on the shoulder at a really young age. I was only nine years old when I first experienced the feeling that God might be pushing me in this direction. And I put up a good fight, I think. I had a lot, like too many dream aspirations growing up. I can recall wanting to be a chef, a comedian, a stage actor, a voice actor, a cartoonist, a musician, a comic book artist, a Lego designer, an engineer, a video game designer, and a teacher, maybe even a ninja at one point. There was even a time where I wanted to just be my seventh grade teacher, Bill Hotshot Carruthers. I don't know if he ever actually liked that nickname, but we had like a chant of it that we would go, and I was normally the one starting that chant. As I grew older, I even started to pursue some of those careers. I learned how to play guitar and sing and joined a Christian rock band called Fact with my buddies. I took every theater course I could and had lead roles in all the musicals and plays my school and community made available. I won talent shows for stand-up comedy. I made videos and tried to go viral in the early YouTube world. I created Let's Plays and hoped for a gaming career. I joined and led an improv troupe for four years. I was a bass singer in an acapella group for like four years. If it exists in the creative field, I have pursued. 
pursued it. Even in the realm of ministry, I still have continued to try my darndest to avoid true pastoral work. I've tried to be a worship leader. I tried to be a youth director. I tried a child care. No matter how far I tried to run from God's call, it seems like I just keep getting dragged back to pastoral ministry. Now you might be asking why? To be honest, I just don't know if I've ever been confident that I'm cut out for the job. That's not to say that anyone's ever told me that directly or that anything I've ever done professionally has affirmed that doubt. The doubt just exists somewhere in my psyche. It took me about four years of serving an actual church appointment to realize the true source of this problem. The truth is, I'm just not very good during peacetime. In my heart, I'm a soldier. To be clear, I'm terrible at exercise. So I'm not like referring to someone serving in military service. I'm not called to that like at all. What I mean is this. I've never wanted to do the work of the ministry that happens after the fun and exciting part. Conversion is sexy and exhilarating. Bringing someone into the faith, baptism, changing lives. Man, that's the good stuff. But the trouble comes with what to do next. Whenever I started serving in a small rural community, I learned that there was an expectation that I would pursue this Christianese term called pastoral care. No one outside of the ministry talks about this thing. Very few budding evangelists share an incredible calling to go sit in someone's house drinking tea for a few hours just to talk. As an excitable, raring-to-go young pastor, I was less than thrilled at the very idea. Now, I should say that this may seem offensive, and I totally understand why it may come across that way, but let's just be honest with one another. This has nothing to do with other people. I love my congregation. I, I love people. I would do anything for them. If I learned of a hospitalization, you better believe I would drop everything and head that way immediately. It was not a lack of love. It was a lack of clarity. We'll get back to this later on in the video. Before we dig any deeper into my shortcomings, let's look at the scripture for just a moment. Jesus is out teaching and working hard. Suddenly he gets a little bit of a rumble in his tummy. And so he sees this dude that he knows makes the best challah. And he says, Levi, come follow me. Let's grab a bite at your place, huh? Everybody learns that Jesus is going to grab some grub with Levi. And so they're like, yeah, sure. Let's tag along for the ride. Jesus and the gang are partying it up. And then there are some folks who have been in the church their whole lives watching from the outside. They're leaders and teachers called the Pharisees. They've worked hard to get where they are now. One of these leaders steps up and asks one of Jesus's besties, hey, why is, why is Jesus here busy eating with tax collectors and other losers and, excuse me, I mean, sinners? Jesus overhears this complaint and calls out from the party with a mouthful of matzah and says, listen here, Derek, those who are well don't need a visit from the doctor. It's the needy who are actually needing my help. I didn't come for those who think they have it all together, but for the sick and sinful seekers. I always love Jesus's words whenever he's with sinners because there's this little like wonderful bit of Jesus flavored sass that absolutely emboldens me to turn up my own sass level as well, which in all wisdom, I know I should not do. Jesus cuts straight to the point with the Pharisees here. It is abundantly clear that they do not really think they need what Jesus had to offer. He's been teaching and they've not been listening. I always wonder, what did the tax collectors and sinners in the room think when Jesus said this to the Pharisees? An easily offended version of myself wants to cover up these words of Jesus and say that he didn't really mean those like meaner things that he said. Those people were not sick. I'm not sick. But even if I were, Jesus would want to be with me anyway, right? A more honest version of myself realizes the truth of Jesus's ministry with the sinners is incredibly abridged in the Bible. Do you know how much I can fit into a 15 minute sermon? You add a few sermons up and I can easily say more word for word than all of the collected teachings we have of Jesus altogether. Jesus had three whole years of constant daily interactions, over a thousand days, mostly unaccounted for in the words that we have in the good book. What do you think they talked about? I bet Jesus had the best jokes. I bet that he memorized everyone's name. I bet he made people feel comfortable 
without even saying a word. Now, I don't often attribute the like tough guy persona to myself. I'm in touch with my feminine side and I consider myself about as far from alpha male as you can possibly get. But one thing I do sparingly is actually like genuinely cry. I'll experience a similar tingly feeling of catharsis, but actually having that sweet liquid emotion drip down my cheeks, mm, rare. Whenever I actually do get the waterworks going, it stands out in my mind that much more. So that being said, it was pretty recently that I got to experience that bizarre feeling of having a sad water park happen down my face. Since kicking off this exciting new ministry, I have ironically had very little time to spend in pop culture. For Pete's sake, two months ago, I could barely remember the last anime or television show I'd even seen. So starting back last October, I realized this was not good for me. And so I made an intentional effort to start watching an episode of something every single day as a part of my to-do list. I decided that I would start with the first anime series on my watch list on Netflix, Violet Evergarden. I was not prepared for this show. If you've never heard of this show, the viewer follows along with the life of the titular Violet Evergarden as she enters into a new vocation as an auto memory doll. This is a wild job. In this world, people either cannot find the words to write or have forgotten how to write or never actually learned how to write, so they hire dolls to draft out letters for them. Apparently, this job all started whenever a man created the job in order for his blind wife to write novels or something like that. I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit much. Violet is this tragic character. As a child, she was orphaned and never given a name. She was raised to be a human weapon without emotions, designed to be this secret tool for one nation to use to overcome another. Towards the climax of the war between two great nations, the nameless girl gets adopted by Major Gilbert Bougainvillea. Bougainvillea. You tell me how to pronounce that. Gilbert takes a liking to her as a person. He gives her a name, Violet Evergarden, and raises her to the best of his ability. After some time, the big day comes where the Major Bougain Gilbert is called to the battlefield with Violet to be brought along as a battle weapon. Things go well at first, but after an unexpected turn in the battle, the Major ends up getting fatally wounded. He tells Violet to leave him. She refuses and carries him to safety. On the way, she has both of her arms blown off by gunners. She then uses her teeth to carry him until they find a spot free from gunfire. She weeps at her weakness, and he tells her that she must live. He then tells her three words that she doesn't understand. I love you. Violet blacks out not knowing the fate of the Major. This all leads to current day Violet with two very impressive mechanical prosthetic arms now pursuing a job as an auto memory doll so that she can understand what the Major meant by those three special words. It's sad, right? You have no idea. Each episode is easily self-contained and tells the story of Violet going to work for a random client with some random tragic story. Some of these stories will tear you to pieces. Some will warm you from the inside out. Some will just have you sitting on the edge of your seat. And then you get to that episode. Season 1, episode 10, titled Loved Ones Will Always Watch Over You. Folks! I can't even express the feelings this episode created. I can only tell you this. This episode earned every last one of its 9.8 out of 10 stars on IMDb. Now, I'm not going to spoil this episode because I genuinely need you all to watch it. Just know this. As a father of a beautiful baby girl, now too, with this video, nothing has better summed up the intense love that passes between a parent and a child. Oh, it just gets me. Now, here is why this is important to our message here today. All these moments and episodes shared between Violet and each client happen during a time of general peacetime. Matters have settled in the nation. People are in a good place, pretty generally. Violet really doesn't need to go and sit with these people, but she does anyway. And when she does, she sits and hears their stories. She experiences who they really are, and it makes all of the difference. What makes all these stories so important is not that the people are all well and wanting to sit and chat with an auto memory doll to write some random letter. Every single story is one of a sick person in need of a listening ear. The key word there being an ear, 
that listens. Now, I'm not sure what led this mangaka to have this whole story to be about writing letters, but if I had to guess, it's because someone writing a letter would have to actually listen not just here. When I watched the actions of Violet, I cried not only because I felt so incredibly seen in my love for my daughter, but because I also felt like I was seen in my love for others. Suddenly it made sense to me. I understood why pastoral care was so necessary, and I understood why it had felt so inauthentic beforehand. See, the truth is, is that not every person who's sick is in a hospital. I thought the two were mutually exclusive, but they're not. Violet learned this too. Jesus knew it from day one. The Pharisees didn't get it one bit. I thought that every single person in the church did not need me to come and sit and drink tea with them. And I was probably right. There were some Pharisees. There are always some people who are well, maybe too well for their own good and uh, assume things that they shouldn't. But there were people there who were sick and you just couldn't tell from the outside looking in. So what can we do about this? How does this change anything for us at all? What can we do today? The truth lies in what happened on those thousand plus days with Jesus that are not documented in the Bible. What did Jesus do with those sinners? Biblical scholars might suggest correctly that much of Jesus' ministry is simply surmised in the four Gospels. He would deliver ideas like these parables and sermons in multiple places and times, and this is very likely true. But what if there's more? What if some of those times were not documented because they were boring? What if sometimes Jesus just sat there and listened? What if he didn't say anything profound? He didn't dive into anybody's heads or offer prosperity or an easy way out? What, what if Jesus just listened? just heard what the sick person needed to say. What if sometimes that's all it really takes? We can run from the ministry all we want, but the truth is, is that we sometimes minister to others by accident, just by listening to a hurting person. At the end of it all, it might help just to acknowledge that not everything needs to end in fireworks and 5,000 lives turned to Christ. Sometimes the smaller moments are way more impactful, deep, not wide. We all want the loud excitement, the big parade, the climactic battle. But the truth is this, peacetime matters. So whether you're an auto memory doll, a soldier, or maybe you don't even know your name, you're always welcome here at Checkpoint Church. Folks, thanks so much for watching this Nerdy Deep Dive. I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to enjoy these weekly deep dives that we put together for you. If you want more of Checkpoint Church right now, we might not be streaming right now, but we, we might be getting back into it soon. So be sure to go follow us on Twitch. Once we get back to the regular swing of things, we'll be streaming on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. No matter what, we will be on Discord right now, 24-7. Our community is super active over there. We have questions of the day. We got prayer requests. We got a place for you to geek out about anime and all your weeb stuff. It's everything is over there. You need to get over to the Discord. I'll link both of those down below. And hey, quick question for you. What was the last show that got a good cry out of you? Please don't make fun of me, but mine might actually be my dress-up darling. It, the, the purity, the just like, the, the uh, they're so innocent. And I love their relationship so much. I'm sorry. I know. It's not that kind of show. It shouldn't bring up tears, but it does. My best cry was your lie in April. So that might even be a better question, but... Regardless, let me know down in the comments what was the last show you got a good cry, or if you cried at your lie in April just like me, because ah, I just oh, I love it so much. That, folks, we're going to end this video as we always do with our three things that we believe to be true about every single one of you out there watching these videos. Number one, we believe that God loves you, like really, really loves you. Number two, we love you. We want community with you. That's what we're doing on Twitch and Discord and YouTube. And number three, we believe that you, yes, you matter. You're a person of sacred worth. The world is a better place. Why? Because you are in it. Folks, with that, until the next time that I see you, I hope that you are well, and I hope to see you, if not over on Twitch or Discord, at the very least, I hope to see you next week, same time, same place, for another Nerdy Deep Dive here on the YouTube channel. Until then, bye bye
Okay, now let's show them. Oh, it's just like real life. Oh, it's just like real life. Oh man, that's hashtag relatable. <laughs> Every single time I'm on Twitter and I post my art. <laughs> I post my art and then somebody responds. Oh, that's beautiful. 